Good morning. Today's Bible reading is from Galatians chapter 1. We're reading the first 10 verses. But before we read, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for those who teach us and reveal to us more of you. Thank you, Lord, that we can come to you freely and hear what you have to say to us. Lord, we pray that you would give each of us discernment, that we would not be enticed by the wrong teachings or a a wrong gospel, that we wouldn't be enticed and encouraged to add extra things to what we're telling people about you. Be with James as he opens your word to us, Lord. We pray you would give us open ears and soft hearts to hear your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel Other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I was still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. All right, well, good morning again, everyone. It's awesome to be here with you guys. Uh, We are starting this series looking at the book of Galatians. I want to tell you uh, one thing about it. So we've been announcing uh, for the last couple of church lives and that sort of thing that we're moving away from doing a series per term. And so now our series is going to cross over the holidays and all that sort of stuff. So I just want to let you know how that's happening functionally and practically. So with the Galatians book, uh, for those of you that get the hard copies of the uh, Bible study companions and that sort of thing, uh, you'll notice in the middle that while we keep preaching through the book of Galatians over the school holidays, growth groups are still going to be breaking like they normally do, but there's going to be some devotionals that you can take yourself through to continue studying through the book of Galatians yourself. So 
the way that it's going to work is the series is going to continue through the school holidays. I think we're in Galatians for about 12 weeks or so. We'll still take a break for, from growth groups in the school holiday slots themselves, but you can keep studying through the book of Galatians yourself to make sure that you don't miss your in-depth uh, looking at God's word uh, through the resources that we've provided there. So any more questions about that, you can ask myself or Andrea how that's working. Uh, happy to help you out, but just want to let you know what's happening there. All right, now, uh, when I was a young Christian, uh, I had one of my first ministers uh, preaching the sermon, and and he gave an illustration of something that really struck me. He said that the difference between uh, Christianity and all the other religions out there is that when every other religion brings out like their all-star team, right, whether it's Muhammad uh, or Buddha or any other sort of big religious figure you can think of, the difference between all of them and Jesus Christ is that uh, they're still in the grave and he's not. Uh, This is the the, the distinguishing thing about Christianity is that the great teacher of our faith, the one who was at the center point of all that we know and we understand, rose from the dead. And that's true and that's good, but just as important for the faith and making sure that we don't deviate from the faith that Jesus taught us is understanding exactly what the significance of that death and resurrection means for us and how that relates to the good news that we believe and trust in. And in this letter that Paul uh, has written to these churches in Galatia, as we're going to see, he is just fierce on this. And so we're going to spend really 12 weeks here thinking about what is actually the nature of the gospel? What is at the heart of the good news that we believe in? And what does Jesus' death and resurrection really mean for us? That's how big and central this is. And so week one here, as we look at this opening passage, we've got this idea of Jesus plus nothing equals freedom, but Jesus plus anything else equals God's curse. So you can see right from the start, this is intense language uh, that we're going to be getting into as we have a look at this. So our passage starts with these words, typical reading from Paul, Paul, an apostle or a sent one, okay, sent not from men, but by, nor nor by a man, we'll look much more about that next week when, when Chris Prime preaches on the second half of this chapter, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia. Okay, so a typical greeting from Paul, gets his good Trinitarian theology in there, talking about God, the Father, the Son, how they relate together and all that sort of stuff. And he's writing to these churches in Galatia. Now, you might remember, uh, as we read our Bibles, one of the things we always want to think about is, is what type of text is this that we're working with? Is it a narrative? Is it a collection of songs? Is it a historical document? What is it? And this one, this is a letter to the churches in Galatia. Paul the guy who was responsible for taking the good news of the gospel to all the non-Jewish people uh, back in his time, he's writing a letter to some churches. So he's writing a letter to those people who are believers, okay? And so we're going to think through what is this place in Galatia? Because we're going to understand how a letter works, we need to understand a little bit about the people he's writing to and what's going on, right? So where is Galatia? When was this written? What was their deal? Okay, so some basic info here as we jump into this book. So we've got the Apostle Paul. Uh, That's an actual photo from 2,000 years ago. Um, It's amazing technology these days, so they put that back together. Uh, So the author is Paul. Okay, Like I said, he's the guy responsible for taking the good news of Jesus to all the non-Jewish people back in his day. And he's actually visited South Galatia and preached in the cities there. So you can see uh, this area here, this sort of yellow section in the middle. This is all Galatia. But Paul takes a few trips down to this southern region. So on his first missionary journey, uh, it says that he goes to the uh, area of Lycaonia and also Antioch in Pisidia, sort of both in the Galatian territories there. On his second missionary journey, he went to other places as well, but I'm just highlighting the Galatian parts. 
On his second missionary journey, it says specifically he went to Lystra, Iconium, and Derby. And then the third one, he went back to those same cities again. And there's some debate about exactly when Galatians is written, okay, but the, the dating that I'm going to be working with uh, is that Paul probably wrote this letter to the Galatians uh, after his second missionary journey or maybe just before. So somewhere in that same time that he traveled there the second time round. So here's what you need to know a little bit to help understand the background of the context, okay? The church in Galatia is in crisis, all right? There is a real dangerous situation developing there that Paul is writing to them to address, all right? Paul founded the church in Galatia. He was there from the beginning, okay? But since then, since Paul started the churches and then moved on to other places, some false teachers have come. And these teachers are concerned with following the law, particularly the requirements for people to be circumcised. So they're, they're Jewish believers who are really heavy on the importance of following the law, and their emphasis on the law has gotten so bad that they're actually distorting the gospel, as we're going to see. And so they've led the Galatians astray, and Paul is fired up about this. Like, we're just going to see this again and again. Uh, the, as he writes to these churches in Galatia, Paul is going to use some of those most fierce and ferocious language that he does in any of the Gospels. If Romans is Paul's great intellectual effort, okay, Galatians is where he is just fired up, coming forth from his understanding of the Gospel, but he is, you know, he's mad. And as we're going to see, uh, he uses some language that we don't typically use in church, uh, but I think it must be sanctified because it's in the Bible. So uh, let's get in with this. He says again, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of God, the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. I'm going to circle back around to these verses uh, in a little bit, but instead, let's move on to the second bit here. He says, I am astonished. And this is what I mean by the language that he starts to use, okay? He's not surprised. He's not curious. He's astonished. He's, he's marveling at this. He's, he's wondering. He's just amazed. This is the same sort of language that Jesus declared when, when he saw the, the centurion's faith in the Gospels. And he, and he was amazed that I'd never seen such faith as this. Same idea here. Paul is saying, I, I've never heard of anything like this. That's kind of the, the level of emotion that he's at here. I'm, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting, you know, changing your mind, turning away, all right, the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ. From the very start, I'm amazed that you are so quickly changing your mind to turn from God. That's the start of the letter. All right? Nice things, grace and peace to you, all that sort of stuff. This is, that, that's just how you start a letter back in those days. It's, it's like how we write dear so-and-so. You know, do we actually mean dear? Probably not. But that's just how everyone starts a letter. Okay, Paul's written this stuff, grace and peace to you. I'm sure it's sincere, but he just jumps straight from typical greeting into, I'm astonished that you're deserting God. We're going to be here for 12 weeks. It's going to be great. That's all. Right. I'm amazed that you're deserting God who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. This is what we mean when we talk about the church being in crisis. Paul is writing to them because he believes that they've been turned away from God. They might not be all the way gone yet, but they've been listening to these false teachers to the point where they, they are now believing a different gospel, which is really not a gospel at all. Gospel okay, is a word that means good news. I can't believe that you're deserting 
God and you're believing a different good news that actually is not good news at all. That's where he's starting here. So our first big point we want to take away from this is a different gospel to the apostles' gospel is no gospel at all. All right, we're gonna, this is going to come back around in a few weeks. Paul's going to attack this from a few different angles, so I'm not going to jump into all of them. But the big thing we're going to see over these first couple of chapters here is that Paul wants them to understand that a different gospel, gospel to the apostles' gospel is no gospel at all. When we talk about the apostles here, we're talking about those guys who were either with Jesus at the very start, lived with him all right, for those three years that he was ministering to people, or the very first believers that interacted with the apostles, you know, that, that sort of you know, level of closeness to Jesus. And when we talk about apostles here, that's who, what we're talking about. So the gospel that the apostles, the guys that were with Jesus, what they taught, if you're teaching anything apart from that, you're not actually preaching the gospel. Now, he said it goes on to explain his understanding of the situation. Big, strong headline sort of start. Now he gets into some of the details. He says, evidently, some people, these, these false teachers, are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel. Right? When we talk about pervert here, sometimes we bring in a moral sort of idea and that sort of stuff. That's not strictly speaking what Paul means here. What he's saying is they've changed, altered, distorted the gospel, which he's furious about, but that's sort of the idea here. Okay? They, they've, they've twisted, they've misshapen, they, they've changed the good news that we proclaimed to you. And he wants them to understand that when he's talking about this, it's not personal. This has got nothing. It, Paul is concerned that somehow they're going to think that he's writing to them because he's jealous or because he's disappointed that they've turned away from his stuff. But he wants to make it crystal clear that's not what he's concerned about. He says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. All right, he's saying, It doesn't matter who you hear this different gospel from. If you're hearing something different from what we first preached to you, whether it's me, whether it's an angel from heaven, it's not true. And let them be under God's curse. Now, again, we just need to understand how strong this language actually is. Paul is a guy who in the gospel of Romans, sorry, in the letter to the Romans, says, if I could trade my life for my Jewish brothers and sisters, that they might believe the gospel and come to faith themselves, I would do so. Paul is a guy who says, I, I love my brothers and sisters so much in, in the nation of Israel that if by my loss of salvation they could be led to salvation, I would do so. But here he says, these false teachers, these guys who are preaching a different gospel, just let them be under God's curse, let them be condemned, let them face the wrath of God. That's how strong he's starting. And again, this is like the first few verses. He wants to make it crystal clear to the Galatians just how serious the stakes are here. In fact, his message, he thinks it's so nice, he says it twice. As we've already said, so now I say again, if anybody is, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than one that you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Like, repetition is a typical way to emphasize a point, right? We do it all the time. No, 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 no. But when it's, let them be under God's curse, let them be under God's curse, like, 
you, you kind of, saying it once is heavy. Saying it twice, that's a sledgehammer. That's how strong he's trying to get this point across. So point number two for us to take away from this is that if you are preaching a gospel that is not the apostle's gospel, then you are under God's curse. We're meant to feel the weight of this. Paul's not gently trying to work us into any of this sort of stuff. Now, just remember, okay, this is a letter that wasn't originally written to us. We're going to talk about what it means for us. But if we're going to think well about what it means for us, we need to understand clearly what Paul was trying to say to these guys at the very start. This is a church in crisis. This is a church that's at risk of being led astray by false teachers who have distorted the gospel and who Paul says to them, let them be under God's curse. That's how high the stakes are. And he finishes by again, uh, sorry, I've got the, the, should be verse 10 there down the bottom, sorry. Uh, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Remember I said, he's concerned that they're going to dismiss what he has to say because of some sort of sense that maybe this is about petty jealousy. Their concern, his clear concern is this, and he's going to go through in the next chapter and a half or so to try and establish his credentials as to why they should be listening to the gospel that he proclaimed to them. He wants to make it clear, this is not about me. I'm not saying this to you guys because I'm trying to please people. It's because I'm concerned about what God wants. So am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God, or am I trying to please people? If I was still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. So the third point that we can take from this passage is servants of Christ and not to live for the approval of people. All right, so here's the deal. Uh, This passage is only 10 verses, and it's not really that complicated. We need to slow down to feel the weight of it, but there's nothing particularly complicated in what he's putting forward, but we do need to do some hard work in thinking through the implications of what he's saying so that we can actually examine ourselves well. Because again, this goes right to the heart of the faith. If we mess up, on the good news, the gospel itself, the very message that the first followers of Christ proclaimed, if we mess that up, then we're going to get ourselves in all sorts of troubles. And if we are legitimately led astray, then God's curse can be upon us if we start declaring this false gospel to others ourselves. So we need to do a little work here to really think through what are the implications? What does this actually mean when we say that a different gospel to the apostles' gospel is no gospel at all? So first thing, right, we need to understand, okay, what is the gospel of the apostles? Now, we could spend a lot of time on this. I'm going to try and do it simply. I'm going to try to have some nuance. But this is one of those ones where we sort of, we do it tight and we talk, have the in-depth conversation later. I have to spend a long, long, long time because there's tomes written on this sort of stuff. But let me try and explain it simply and quickly. So I told you I'd go back to that that, uh, earlier verse. Essentially, this is the answer to that question. What is the apostles' gospel? Well, it's this. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of God our Father. We've been saved from evil. We've been saved from the, the sins of this evil age by the Lord Jesus Christ. Right, that's, that, that's how that works. 
Like I said, in Romans is where Paul sort of unpacks this in a lot more detail and all that sort of stuff. Again, I'm not going to spend a whole heap of time on this, but we see that again, uh, Romans chapter 5, so often a passage that you might turn to in order to explain the meaning of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Paul fleshes out some of the details here, but we have the same basic elements. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've also obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we've now been justified by his blood, justified means to be declared not guilty, to be found righteous, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. So a really quick and easy sort of test. And again, guys, some of you, 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 if you go Google what is the gospel and that sort of stuff, you'll see a thousand blogs, all right? And most of them are pretty good, okay? But they'll do various levels of detail and that sort of stuff. I'm just trying to keep this as tight and simple as we can for this morning. But you could say that the Apostles' Gospel answers these three questions in these ways. Save from what? Save from what? The wrath of God. Saved by who? The Lord Jesus Christ. And saved how? By grace through faith in Christ. That's, that's what we're looking at here. Now, if I asked you guys to start to list some sort of false gospels that are out there and that sort of thing, I imagine there's a few that might spring to mind. Uh, one that lots of us in church world might have heard about is, is like the prosperity gospel. Okay? So their answers to these questions. And again, it's not normally stated as plainly as this, but you know, this is the sort of vibe you can get. Prosperity gospel would say that you're saved from what? Poverty and sickness to live your best life now. Let the reader understand. Uh, saved by who? The Lord Jesus Christ. Saved how? Faith in Christ and following God's ways because you know, you've got to work God's principles if you want to really live in the fullness of everything that he has for you. Okay? Uh, there's like a, a version of the Christian self-esteem gospel that just starts to make you feel better. So what are you saved from? You're saved from feeling bad. That's what we really want. We just want people to be happy. Okay, you're saved by who? Well, you're still saved by Jesus. I mean, Jesus is the exemplar. He's the one that we look towards. And how are you saved? Well, believe in yourself. Don't, don't think negatively. Think positively about yourself. These sorts of ideas. Now, again, oftentimes it's not said quite as plainly as this, but it's the sort of framework that you find sneaking in behind answers and that sort of thing. Uh, we could even take it a little bit further to like a totally secular context outside of a religious sphere, right? The technology gospel. You're saved from what? Human problems, all the inconveniences and difficulties in the world, sickness, you know, you know, time management, whatever, okay? We're saved by what? More technological advancement, saved how? Continually developing new tech, all that sort of stuff. This is the, 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 like I said, you can construct these sorts of narratives. These are frameworks of looking at the world that you can you know, use these basic questions to sort of get at what might be being saved. But what we're really talking about here in Galatians might be some of what we'd call the faith plus gospel. Okay, and, that, and that's why it's so dangerous, because it's so close to being right, but by making an extra step, by adding to the truth, it actually distorts it completely. So the faith plus gospel is the idea that you are saved from the wrath of God. Sure, no problem there. Saved by who? The Lord Jesus Christ. Yep. But saved how? Faith in Christ plus something else. So again, Jesus plus nothing equals freedom. But Jesus plus anything else puts us under God's curse if that's what we're proclaiming and preaching. So it's about to get uncomfortable. Just a warning, okay? If that's not your thing, just shake it out for a second here, okay? Because the whole point is, is that this hits us at various levels and in different ways. Because the thing is, is that 
This is one of those ones where if we're not careful, again, even if we don't say these things aloud, even if, even if we were given a test, these aren't the answers that we would write down. Culturally, emotionally, these things can just sort of sneak into the way that we think about stuff. And, and that's why, like I said, it's a fairly simple message, but we have to really think it through carefully to think about where are we at with this and is this a problem for us. So, for some, the faith plus gospel, the faith plus gospel equals doing everything right, but you better be voting conservative because how could you possibly be a Christian if you're not agreeing with me politically? Whichever side you're on. Like, how, how can you say that you're a believer in Jesus and yet you, you, you do these things? Now, again, if you ask somebody to pass a test, do you believe that somebody could be a follower of Jesus and vote this way? They might be forced, if they've been taught well, to say, well, I guess it's possible. But culturally, emotionally, the way that they operate, what actually, gets con- what actually gets communicated is, you need to be following Jesus in this way to really be right with God. Here's another one, fun one for us, in our uh, you know, reformed evangelical circles that we move in and that sort of stuff. The good theology gospel. Saved from what the wrath of God, also saved by who the Lord Jesus Christ rightly understood. Okay. Saved how, uh, well, you know, faith in Christ according to right doctrine. And what we want to do is we want to add on these, these extra bits and pieces. Now, I'll come back around to this in, in a little bit. But again, we're, we're adding something to the gospel. It's not just faith in Christ. Now, again, I'm, I'm going to add some nuance in a minute, but let me just challenge us all to think it a little bit. How about this one? Ever got the feeling that to be a Christian, you need to both be believing in Jesus and be at church on Sundays every week? Otherwise, it's a bit sus. Where are they really at? Do they really believe? Uh, in some circles, it, you know, are you really a Christian if you're not reading your Bible continuously and regularly? You know, there's all these things that are good things, and this is an important thing to realize, guys. Lots of these things are good, but if we say that these things are essential for us to really be saved, to really be right with God, we're starting to add something to the purity of the gospel that Paul preaches to us. So let's think about this right doctrine one uh, just to challenge us a little bit more. Because Paul understood doctrine uh, pretty well. Guy wrote, you know, many, many uh, of the letters that we have in the New Testament. He was the one that uh, formed so much of the, the doctrinal stuff that we've made going forward and that sort of thing. He could, in Romans, really expound upon the gospel and spend chapters outlining it and explaining it to these Jewish people that knew the Old Testament scriptures and worked through it in depth and assumed their questions and all this sort of stuff. Paul was an intellectual guy that could go into the depth of the gospel with the best of them, but he would also say just a few chapters later, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Not if you've understood everything that I've just written about in the preceding 10 chapters, you'll be saved. Not if you agree with me on every single point, you will be saved. But if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, confess with your mouth that you believe in him that God raised, and believe that God raised him to the dead, you'll be saved. Now, here's the nuance. We're not saying uh, that people who have such a wrong understanding of who Jesus is and what he did are truly believing in the Lord Jesus. That would be like if I brought a cat up on stage and I was like, this is Jesus, believe in him and you'll be saved. It's like, just because I put the name of Jesus onto something doesn't mean that that's true and real. 
Okay, so we still need to believe in the historical Jesus who's taught to us in the scriptures. If our understanding of who Jesus is is so clearly against what's being taught in the scriptures, we're not actually believing in Jesus, are we? We're believing in a different person, a construction, if you like, of our own imagination. But the thing is that if we're believing in Jesus and trusting in him, we believe that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Even if you're not a Calvinist. Even, okay, if you struggle with uh, understanding how certain parts of the Bible can actually be God's word. Even if you, you know, you just don't, like, totally get the Trinity. Like, you're not saying it's not true and real, but trying to get to the subtleties and all that sort of stuff, like, you just don't totally really get it. Maybe you occasionally utter a heresy, you know, about it. (coughs) Happens all the time. I get very nervous reading when kids, people, you know, teachers try to explain the Trinity to kids. I'm like, oh, no, don't use any analogies. No, no analogies. Okay? But I'm sure there's, there's plenty of sincere believers that have taught false things. I'm sure I have. And so we just want to make sure that, again, we're not thinking that we have to be totally right on all these things to be right. It's faith in Jesus. But this, again, even here, I mean, there's definitely an element of this in Galatians, but... This is is sort of practically how it works. The faith plus gospel here in Galatians, again, is this idea that you need to do something else on top of just believing in Jesus in order to be right with God. Now, some of you might say this and say, well, hold on that though. In the book of James, doesn't it say that faith without works is dead, that, that if you're not actually doing the things, then your faith isn't real? Now, that's a great point. That's in the Bible, okay? James says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? He says, in the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. But, but read carefully here. What's he saying? He's not saying that it's not through faith. What he's saying is, if that we're not seeing good deeds, if your faith isn't resulting in any real transformation, then your faith isn't genuine and real. He's not saying that we're saved by anything except through faith alone. What he's saying is, is that if there's, the gospel's having no impact and no effect on your life whatsoever, then your faith isn't actually real because genuine faith is going to result in transformation. And so he says, show me your faith without deeds and I'll show you by my faith by my deeds. He's not saying we're saved by faith and doing stuff. He's saying we're saved by faith, but if we're not doing stuff, then there's real reason to question and wonder if that faith is genuine and real. Which really pushes us. I'm going to talk a little bit more about transformation in just a second here. And I don't bring up this next one lightly. And again, guys, I know there's all sorts of subtlety. There's all sorts of space for debate here. But I really want to push on this, and I'm going to bring the counter in a second, so if this really freaks you out, just stay calm. Okay. But I think that we can push this far enough to say that even if you say that you have to be having faith in Jesus, and you say something along the lines of, and you can't be queer, you're in dangerous territory. At the very least, you have to get real precise about what you mean by this, and you better not say it blithely and uncaringly, because it really pushes against this. Now, again, like I said, here's the counter. Okay, we're going to spend... Oh, I'm sorry, guys. I've got the wrong reference up here again. But we're going to look at this in much more detail in a few weeks, but I just want to flag it so that you know as we're looking at this that this is where it's going. Because in Galatians uh, there, in chapter 5, I don't know why, I think I must have copied and pasted this poorly. It's, it's, it's Galatians 5, 22 to 25 here. 
Paul writes this. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified freely by his grace. Sorry, this is the Romans one. Sorry, I'm out of line. I apologize. Let me take this back. To make my point, okay, Paul is really clear to emphasize again, even with all the theological nuance and that sort of stuff that he has, he says that it's received by faith and nothing else. Okay? So, in bringing up this question, it makes us ask the question then, so do we just believe and it doesn't matter how we live? Let's think about the example of sexual immorality and that sort of thing. Paul is going to say later in Galatians 5, live by the Spirit and you will not... Uh, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, okay? So he's actually concerned to see people live different lives. And he's going to unpack this, and he's even going to list what sort of things are acts of the flesh. He says they're obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. And he even goes so far as to say, I warn you as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But what he's not trying to say here is that it's by your obedience to not do these things that you're going to be saved. Rather, what he's trying to say is this. If you really believe in the gospel, if you're really trusting in Christ and you're wanting to live in his spirit, then all these things are going to fall away. If you persist in living in these things, if you're still committed to these things, if this is what you're about, if you're not in the spirit, if you're not believing in Jesus, and instead you're pursuing all these things then there's not going to be inheritance from you. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, generous, self-control. Now, like I said, we're going to spend a lot more time unpacking this when we actually get here, but this is the, the point I want you guys to understand. I apologize for muddling it a little bit by getting confused with my slides there. But this is the point, okay? As we believe in the gospel, there is nothing that we need to do in order to add to that for us to be saved. But... As we believe in the gospel, it is going to lead to all sorts of transformation for us. So, you don't need to stop being queer in order to become a Christian, but it may very well be that as you become a believer in Jesus, that's going to lead to all sorts of change in your life. You don't need to stop being racist to believe in Jesus. But if you believe in Jesus, that's probably going to lead to transformation in your heart that's going to mean that you become a different person. You don't need to stop being greedy about your wealth and sell all your cars in order to become a follower of Jesus. But if you become a follower of Jesus, it's probably going to lead you to reconsider your finances and how you spend your money. And this is the thing, guys. We have to understand that these are how these things fit together. Now, again, I... I don't want to unpack this and I don't want to make it overly complicated here. But when we talk about repentance, okay, what we mean is repentance is a change of mind. Repentance and faith go hand in hand. But this is the thing. With repentance, the emphasis is less on turning away from your sins. Try and find a verse in the Bible that says repent of your sins. Just go looking for it lately. You'll struggle. The emphasis on repentance is turning to Jesus. It's coming to faith in him. And so we need to make sure that even, that even when we read Jesus saying, repent and believe, what he's saying is change your mind and believe. Turn to me and believe. That's how we experience salvation. Now, like I said, we're not saying 
that how we live is unimportant. We're not saying that we just believe and then we don't worry about how we live or what we do with our lives and all that sort of stuff. Stuff. Paul is going to hit this. He's going to spend a whole lot of time up front saying gospel, grace, freedom up front. And then in chapters 5 and 6, he's going to talk about how that will lead to a transformed life. But he's going to get all this emphasis, remember, with all the fierceness that he has to make sure that you do not make the mistake of thinking that to be saved, to be right with God, you need to do anything other than believe and trust in Jesus by his grace. And so what that means is quickly is that for those of us, you know, as we seek to proclaim the gospel, and we've just spent the last three weeks talking about how we can have conversations about Jesus, how we can invite people to church, how we can see them come in and all that sort of stuff, we need to take seriously that we don't accidentally fall into this sort of stuff. Because Paul's warning for those that do distort the gospel is severe. If you're preaching a gospel that's not the apostles' gospel, then he says, let them be under God's curse. He says it twice. And so again, we've got to be really carefully because you could make the case, and again, there's nuance and subtlety in all this, guys. I'm, I'm, I know I keep trying to couch this, but it's because I don't want you to not listen to me because you don't think it's nuanced enough. But just hear the big statement and then think about whether it's true or not, what it means. If you proclaim a gospel that says you must believe in Jesus and not be racist to be saved, you might very well be more under God's curse than someone who is Jesus and is racist. Because if they're believing in Jesus and they're still racist, they're right with God. They're believing the gospel. They just haven't been transformed yet. But if you're saying you need to believe in Jesus and not be racist, you've added something to the gospel, and Paul says, let them be under God's curse. If you proclaim a gospel that says you must believe in Jesus and be straight to be saved, then you are possibly more under God's curse than someone who believes and is queer. We want to be really careful with this stuff, guys. Subtlety, nuance, all of it, absolutely. But let's not dampen Paul's language. Let's not kill by a thousand qualifications just how fierce Paul is in declaring this stuff. And I think that for us, you know, the, the last part of this passage here, where the point is that the servants of Christ are not to live for the approval of people in church, I think that one of the reasons we can accidentally stumble into trying to add stuff to the gospel is to please other people. Now, Paul makes it really clear. He's not trying to please people. That's why he's a servant of Jesus. Serving Jesus means you have to stop worrying about trying to please people. You you seek to please God. But the thing is, is that our desire to please people can lead lead us to either try and please irreligious people that, you know, don't want any rules and laws and all that sort of stuff, or people that want to add stuff to the gospel in a legalistic sort of way. They can be powerful voices in church. People can make, they, they can make you question whether you really love Jesus if you proclaim a gospel by faith alone. They can pressure you to sort of say, you know, hey, shouldn't it be this way? Aren't you meant to fit in this pattern? Are you really right in doing things right? And so we need to make sure that our heart is to serve Jesus above all else, to listen to his scriptures, to wrestle with it. Because it's just, again... This idea of Jesus plus anything, fill in the blank. We're, we're closer to God's curse than anyone struggling in sin here. So, I knew this was going to be heavy. I knew this was how you guys were probably going to be by the, end, by the time I got done with this one today. Just everyone's saying, ooh. But that's okay. Because like I said, we're going to spend like 12 weeks here. Not here, not quite at this pitch, not quite at this tone. But if we're going to work through this well and we're going to hear the whole counsel of God that Paul has for us in this letter, we need to understand each bit, bit by bit. 
And this first part to take away is just how fierce Paul is in saying that Jesus plus nothing means freedom from God's wrath. It means that we are right with him. But if we add anything to the gospel, we run the risk of being under God's curse. And so let's us, as the people of God, learn well the truth of this gospel, that we're not to add anything to it. Let's meditate on this. Let's, let's let the Holy Spirit convict and challenge us this week where maybe we've proclaimed the gospel in ways that made people feel like they had to change first before they could be good enough to come to Christ. Or we've made people feel who sincerely were trusting in Christ but were struggling in sin, we've made them feel like, oh, maybe you're not actually right with God because of what you're struggling with. Or we've taken people who actually seem to be really good and rejoicing in their life in Christ and then we've added on them the burden of, yeah, but you have to do these things to really be doing this right. And if that's been us, let's, let's be humble enough to confess it. Let's be honest enough to say, yes, that's what it did. Maybe some apologies are in order. But let's not forget ourselves that we are all, by the grace of Christ, right with God. That even our failings in this area do not nullify the grace of God. That if we can recognize the error of our ways and confess, then we won't be led completely astray, but we'll continue to sit in the mercy that he gives to us. Let's pray together now. Father God, thank you so much for this grace that you have given to us. Thank you so much that Jesus came into this world and became one of us and died upon the cross to pay the price for our sins so that we might live for you forever. Thank you that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, that we didn't deserve it, but in your love for us, you paid the price to make it possible for sinners like us to be saved. And thank you, Lord, that we don't need to add anything to it. That while we rejoice in the transformation that the gospel brings, we rejoice that you set us free from our old selves. You set us free from sin that so easily entangles us. You've set us free to live new lives, godly lives, lives that please you. But Father, help us to remain crystal clear that none of that adds to our salvation. None of that is necessary for us to be saved, but rather it's the transforming work of your spirit in all those who believe. And we pray, Father, as we understand this deeply, that we'll be set free from sin more and more, that we'll live for you more and more, and we'll proclaim a gospel and live a life that draws people towards you and the grace that you extend to all those who trust in you. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.